This Restorative Justice Life is a production of Amplify RJ. Follow us on all social media platforms at Amplify RJ. Sign up for our email list and check out our website at AmplifyRJ.com to stay up to date on everything we have going on. Make sure you're subscribed to this feed on whatever platform you're listening on right now so you don't miss an episode. And finally, we'd love it if you left us a rating and review. It really helps us literally amplify this work. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to This Restorative Justice Life, the podcast that explores how the philosophy, practices, and values of restorative justice apply to our everyday lives. I'm your host, David Ryan Barcega Castro-Harris, all five names for the ancestors, and I'm the founder of Amplify RJ. On this podcast, I talk with RJ practitioners, circle keepers, and others doing this work about how this way of being has impacted their lives. Today's episode is with the one and only Pamela Purdy. As you'll soon hear, Pam is another one of my OGs in this work. She's been doing restorative justice work in Chicago for the past 20 years and is currently working at a Precious Blood Ministry of Reconciliation on the South Side neighborhood of Back of the Yards as their restorative justice coordinator and a circle keeper trainer. Let's make this the shortest intro so far in this podcast and get right into our conversation with Pam. Welcome, Pamela. Who are you? I am Pamela Purdy. I'm born on a farming community in Tar Heel, North Carolina. Who are uh, you? I went to North Carolina Central University uh, in the early 80s uh, with a art education background and art therapy uh, concentration. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Um, I guess I got restless in North Carolina. I always dreamed about leaving uh, the South. So I got the opportunity to move to New York City. Mm. Who are you? Uh, I started working in New York. I I left all the education stuff behind me. I started working in New York as a professional model. Started out as a print model with Ford's agency and Jeremy Foster Fair agency. And later, I uh, moved to Europe to continue my modeling career. Mm. You're telling me a lot about what you do and where you're from, but who are you? I, am, I have always been a people person. I have a compassion to uh, always connect with people. I love people. And um I guess I'm a very caring person. I got that, I think, from my grandmother. I, I love uh, meeting new people, talking to strangers, and I just want to be part of of this whole caring about others and not just myself. Mm-hmm. Who are you? I am very committed to anything I put my mind to. Uh, I've, I've often started doing things that I thought was impossible, but I'm just a strong-minded, strong-willed, determined person. And finally, we'll get into all the other things, but for this, who are you? I am a person that kind of gravitates toward uh, helping others. That's why I went into, after my modeling career, went into social service and being in a position where I'm part of working with young people and working with elderly people, working with people just in general. Mm. Well, we're going to touch on uh, uh, some of that. You, you shared like all of your life. Uh, I don't know that we'll get to all of that, but just before <laughs> we get into that, uh, how are you? Oh, I'm in, fine. In the, in the fullest uh, uh-huh. way of asking that question. 
Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, lately, these days, with what's going on, I'm 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 hopeful, and I'm feeling real rested because it's more time now to be at home and then some at work. But for the first time, I, I feel really uh, at peace and and restful. I'm I'm able to be quiet and be still more. So mm. I feel good. I feel really good. Yeah. Is that different? How is that different from what it was like before Corona? <laughs> you know what it was like before Corona? Um, just going, 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 uh, getting away from my practices of being still and meditating. Uh, now, almost every time I make a decision, I decide to do something, even if it's just to go outside, I think about it. So the difference is I think more now about everything I'm going to do or getting ready to do. And even sometimes in conversation with people, because people now, all of us, we just, I don't know, conversations are different now because we're, 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 we're looking for something. We're looking for answers. We got the election coming up. So I guess right now I, I feel happy and, and hopeful because I think I'm more conscious now. And that makes me feel, that makes me feel good because I know that's how I want it to be uh, long before Corona. Yeah, absolutely. And the things that you were running around doing were really important things. I met you when, oh, shoot, five or six years ago at this point, um, when you were doing work out of, and you still are doing work out of uh, Precious Blood Ministry of Reconciliation on the south side of Chicago as the restorative justice coordinator, as a circle keeper trainer, um, and just an amazing member of that community. Uh, but you've been doing restorative justice work for a long time, and it was probably before you even knew the word restorative justice. Um, in your own words, uh, how did this work start for you? Well, um, I when I moved to Chicago, I started working uh, as a diversity trainer, doing mm. work with an organization called Task Inc. And a lot of the work and the practices that I was doing then, you're right, David, were restorative, uh, that uh, all people are doing the best they can with what they have, those kind of assumptions and uh, uh, no blaming because we dealt with a lot of the isms, racism, sexism, uh, adultism, a lot of stuff where to do that work, you would have to put aside blaming people and just meeting people where they are. And so coming into restorative justice, which um, I credit to my mentor, teacher, Kay Pranis, uh, I was just ready to, to, to see something that still held truth to what I was already doing. And at that time I had left task and I moved with uh, my, uh, the person that introduced me to uh, diversity. We opened an agency, a violence prevention agency called, uh, the work was called VIP Violence Prevention. And he had met Kay Pranis, Leo Hayden. He had met Kay Pranis uh, in Minnesota and really was introduced to restorative justice. And he came back to, to our agency and say, you've got to see the work that this woman is doing. Matter of fact, she's coming to Chicago and she'll be doing what she does, which is peace circles in the community here on the South side. So he thought that maybe you should go and shadow her, just sit in and she needed someone to be in those spaces with her. 
Uh, it was a predominantly uh, black communities. And so he, she also wanted someone to be with her. And so we were introduced and I, I just, you know, if you know Kate Prentice, I just fell in love with her just being introduced to her. And so she was going into the communities on the South side, uh, doing circles at churches with the community folks. I think, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, I can't remember how many we did, but I was just shattering her, no training, just sitting in the circles, being a participant for a lot of circles. And what I saw and experienced was her being able to create this space that people wanted to be in, that people were quiet and still. And that was the peace circle. And I watched how she introduced it. I watched how uh, the space had no particular agenda except for to bring people together in that community, people that didn't know each other but lived in the same community, to bring them together where they started to want to care for one another. And I was like, oh yeah, I can do this, I can do this. And so I learned a lot just hanging out, being in those circles. I learned a lot from her, I took lots of notes and that was very successful. And that was my introduction to her and my learning from her. And then later uh, that went on for a little, almost a year, just not every week, but just periodically. She, she would leave and come back. Mm -hmm. And then I would be ready to go out joining her in these circles. The more formal training, uh, my same uh, boss at that time said, well, I want other people in the agency to be trained. So I think it was about seven or eight of us went out to Bloom Township where the, the situation was for six weeks, but only on the weekends, six mm -hmm. weeks, we went through a formal restorative justice training. In exchange that they needed some people to do mediation. We had to volunteer somewhere in the city doing this work. And I live in Oak Park, which is close to Maywood. So I volunteered to work as a mediator in the Maywood courts. After this six, after this training, you were able to, you know, get in those positions. And so I got, I was trained uh, the six weeks, uh, but because I was so excited, had so much passion, the people that were given that training uh, took notice of me and asked me to come back and train again to be one of the trainers on their team. Mm, that yeah. was the that was the beginning of my learning all this wonderful stuff because it was more information that you would get to be a trainer of trainers. So I I, I did my work for a year at, at Maywood Courts whenever they needed me as a mediator, and then later came the five day intense training for restorative just to be a restorative justice trainer with with uh those folks and i think that was sharon colby and her people yeah. and so i went back out to harvey where they were located mm -hmm. and i did a a very intense five-day training where i can become a trainer to train people yeah um there there's so much in there that i didn't know and i've known you for i've known you for a minute um <laughs> And I want to go back to like something you said a little bit earlier when you were mm -hmm. talking about like circles, not being a place where uh, there's like a specific agenda. It's a mm -hmm. place where uh, people can just be um, when I've done circle trainings with you, either like being trained or like co-facilitating with you. One of the things that you often share with people is that when people ask you what you do, uh, what do you say? I say I create safe space. Yeah. I, what does that I, mean? And I love saying that because it's so cool to me. And that's exactly what people come back with. What do you mean you create safe space? Uh, it's just that um, 
it's a it's a ceremony you know it's taken the practice is taken from indigenous people where we're coming not just as a group of people coming to circle up mm -hmm. we actually and Kay did a very good job at this with actually creating uh, a space that looked like a ceremony is getting ready to happen. Mm -hmm. A lot of a lot of us these days, because of where we are, don't we don't burn sage, we don't do all of that. But Kay did that in every one of her circles. The sage is burned, the atmosphere is set, the candle is lit, and when you walk into that space, you feel something. And I always said, this is how I want my spaces to be. And and I'm still I'm very critical circle keeper too. I really. Uh, I get really, uh, I don't know, I, 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 want it, I want it to look like that and feel like that because that's how I came into it. And um, so it's a ceremony. And when I say I create safe space, that's what I do. I create the space where people can come, create values, of course, uh, where people feel that they're going to be heard. And it's not a lot going on other than us wanting to be there and experience what that feels like. It's kind of, I hope. Hope I'm doing a good job. It's kind of hard to explain it, but you feel safe in that space. I guess that's that's a good way to put it. You really feel safe because the, the exercises that we do, the things we do together, starts to bring people closer together, and people and people are learning about one another. And the 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 one thing that I really hold true to being in circle is that the more you start to embrace people and listen, I just talk. When you listen to people's stories and what they're about, it draws you into them in, in a good way, in a good way where you don't want to harm them. You just want to stay connected to them. Mm -hmm. We talk about um, restorative justice and a lot of people jump to just, you know, uh, how do we repair the harm between folks, right? But you've got to build that relationship first. Um, exactly. And like what you're talking about, um, when you hear somebody's story, um, you're a lot, it's a lot easier to empathize with, um, you know, who that person is, where they come from, and mm -hmm. why they did the thing that they did that like, was, yeah, maybe very, very harmful. Um, right. You see them as a person, not just as a person who did this terrible thing to me. And one thing I learned as a diversity trainer, all the work we were doing in those years, and that must have been really 100% doing diversity work for like eight years. Mm -hmm. What I learned, because it was a violence prevention agency, mm -hmm. most of the violence that were occurring, were occurring between people were because they did not know one another. Mm -hmm. They simply did not know each other or anything about that culture or anything about uh, that person in that age group. And then, so it was easier for the harm to occur. It's just tacked on the attached under racism and adultism and sexism and homophobic, all of that it has a name. Mm -hmm. But if you look underneath it, the violence is a Karen because you we don't know each other. And so I learned that as a diversity trainer. I know that as a diversity trainer. So coming into restorative justice and being able now to create a space mm -hmm. where we can sit and get to know one another, uh, that's like, the icing on what I've already been doing and learning up until this point when I started learning restorative justice. And that was back in 2000. Yeah. Wow. What a time to be alive. I was 10 years, years old. <laughs> oh, you were not. 
10 plus 20 years is 30. And even though this announcement is only relevant for the day after this podcast airs, I want to remind you that my 30th birthday is this weekend, and we're celebrating on Friday, October 30th from 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific with an Amplify RJ fundraiser. It'll be a really cool Zoom hangout where you'll get to meet people from the Amplify RJ community, play games, win prizes, and learn a little bit more about this work. Suggested donation is, of course, $30. You can find more info about that and all our other events on our Eventbrite page, which is linked in the description. Back to Pamela. Yeah, that was 2000. I never forget it because that's when we moved. The first year we moved away from Task to our own comp- our own business on 10 West 35th Street. We moved year 2000. I stay with that with VIP until 2005. But we I did that training. I K came into the picture the first year we were there, mm-hmm. 2000. Yeah, so uh, so 2000 was around the time that you learned the word restorative justice. Absolutely. And you've done a lot of restorative justice work since then. Um, tell me a little bit more about what happened. Uh, after I got trained. Mm-hmm. And I, okay, so now at the... The, the agency that I was with, I decided that we would have a division where we actually focus on doing restorative justice and peace circles. Mm-hmm. And so we, at that time, we had a contract with all the alternative schools in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Only, um, only um, the schools where kids were supposedly gotten in trouble and then CPS say, you got to go to that school. CPS, Chicago Public Schools. CPS, yes. And so in alternative schools, what happens is uh, the the children, the the youth take on that that consciousness that they are the bad kids. And so they just put into these special schools, but that's not the case. They're still students. They're still normal kids. They just in an alternative school. So what I did with restorative justice is start to, and, and I created a team of about four or five people. And what we did was started to go into the schools and, and create these spaces where these youth can come together and learn more about them. So I, I continued to work in the schools uh, until I, until I guess, 2003 or four, but that's how I started officially doing circles and later on in the community, but we focus on the schools at the time. So I guess I started really doing uh, the work while I was still at the, at the VIP agency and into the alternative schools. Yeah. So from diversity training to doing this work in schools, um, I'm really curious how you met Cheryl and Aura um, and Father Dave and all them as a part of this. Well, I heard about these two great women running around doing restorative justice and they, they, oh goodness, they, when people spoke of the work they were doing, it was really uh, all so good. I wanted to uh, meet them. I think I met Robert Spicer first and mm-hmm. he was working with them. I don't know where I met him at, but I know. Well, it makes sense. He was doing the work in schools, right? Yes. I yeah. met him, but then somehow it came out that he said he knew Cheryl and Aura. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my goodness, I want to meet them. And I think uh, I took their four-day training. I went in just to hang out with them. I had a friend from out of town and he actually wanted, I wanted him to know what I did, my friend from North Carolina. I said, you gotta, I can't explain what I do. So why 
now you go to this training that these two great women are doing. And you know what? What the heck? I'll sit in with you. And so I sit in that four day that Cheryl and I are, are now doing and that I also did with Cheryl and Aura. Uh, I sit in that four day with Randy, my friend, so he can learn it and see what we what I do. And uh, it was just amazing. It was so amazing. Uh, I never thought today I would be working with CJYI as much as I am now and, and great friends with Aura and Cheryl. But at that time, I was just sitting in and learned so much. Uh, every trainer is different. And that's how I met Aura and Cheryl. And it was 2007. Yeah. And so, uh, so Kay learned from um, Tanaga, who is a Tagish woman, uh, who's uh, mm -hmm. their indigenous to, uh, to northern, uh, the northern, I think it's northern Ontario, but it's definitely in northern Canada. Um, and Kay has taught so many people, uh, including Cheryl, including Aura, uh, including you. I've had the opportunity to sit with her uh, a couple times. Um, and you've noticed the difference between like the things that Kay does, uh, the things that Cheryl do, mm -hmm. does, the things that Aura does, the things that you do. Um, and I think like it's important for people to know that each keeper is going to do something different. Like the ceremony is not mm -hmm. exactly the same. You have to Absolutely. bring your full self into, into the work, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there are certain key elements that uh, mm -hmm. do, need to, do need to be a part of it. Um, I think that gets lost a lot of time. Uh, mm -hmm. People just get to like, oh no, Pam did it this way. So like, this is the way that I have to do it. Like David did it this way. And this is the way that I have to do it. Like, no, like I do it this way because mm -hmm. this is how like these values show up for me because I'm not Pam. I'm not going to tell the story of, I'm not going to tell stories from my safe space um, in um, North Carolina, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, here's the thing. When you find something that you really, really respect and appreciate, mm -hmm. you have, and, and that was with my modeling career when I was modeling, anything that I stumbled upon and I loved it, when you love something and respect something, you do it with integrity. Mm. It's, it's like you're cheating on it if you don't do it the full way. Although I don't want to use the word the right way. But you do it from the heart. You do it from a place of, of uh, sacredness. And that's when I got introduced to Restorative Justice. When I sit in circle with Kay Prentice all those times, I was in heaven. I was in R. And I wanted to be like her. I wanted to be good at it. Not so much like her, but good at it. Mm. Like she was good at it. So I came out of that with such regard for what I believe and learned that restorative justice was. It just makes sense. It really makes sense to build on these relationships to create a community that everything happens. So I kind of come into uh, every time I'm doing a circle, every time I'm creating a space and every time I'm doing a training because of the respect and the love that I have for this work and the, the belief I have in it, I, I do it from the heart. I do it from the heart. And that's, that's really what I saw with Cheryl and Aura. They just knew it. They were, they, they were doing the training, but it came from the heart. And I said, okay, hey, they're doing it with integrity. And that's that's how I do it. That's how I came into it. I care about it. I believe in it. Mm -hmm. So that's a big difference too. You have a lot of people that are trained. They're just doing it because maybe 
they want to do it. Somebody told them to do it. But if they don't really believe in it, I test it, then it comes out that way. It shows up that way. So. And I, and I heard you say something about like, there's not like a quote unquote right way to do it. Right. No. Uh, but there is a way to do it with integrity. And you saw the way that Kay models it. You saw the way that Cheryl models it. You saw the way Aura models it. You've learned yeah. from other people as well. Um, I'm curious uh, who are some of those other folks. Um, I have a, a, a Mayas, Mayas Reggae and Reggae, I'm sorry, in Wisconsin, Native American community. Mm -hmm. I, I was a member while I was at TASC. I became a member of um, a Association for Experiential Educators, AEE. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're still around or not, but every year they have a convention in a different place. Mm -hmm. And so one year, we and we're they're hosted by different states. One year, the Native American community hosted AEE convention, mm -hmm. and it was something. It was really, really beautiful. And so I I went uh, uh, to that convention, and they had like a they created a mega circle of about two hundred people. They create a circle that lasted all weekend and people were coming and going and fire was burning. But I saw also a whole nother level of how you create safe space and what it really means. So I had, I went back a few times. I was asked to come back a few times. I kept circle a couple of times, but I learned a whole different kind of way of doing peace circles with the Native American community in Wisconsin as well. Yeah. And, and so, and in Chicago, uh, goodness, I've done a lot of work in Chicago, not a lot of other trainings. I think the only training here I did was with Sharon Aura. But you know what it takes, Dave? It takes doing it. it I've, I've very, rel, rel, very seldom will I say, no, I won't do that circle. I can't do that circle. Only if it's not circleable, if that's a word. But always when I'm called to duty, I'm called to do it, I accept. Sometimes mm -hmm. for fee, sometimes not for fee, but be, but because I love it and yeah. because I want, I want somebody to want it. Mm -hmm. So my thing was just doing it a lot because when I left uh, the agency that I was with, uh, with Leo Hayden, I started working on my own mm -hmm. from 2005 all the way to 2016. I was a contractor just going to places, training people and creating peace rooms in schools. I still, I kept my contract as an independent contractor with CPS mm -hmm. when I left that agency. And also people got word about me or somebody doing trainings and stuff. So I, I my experience of how I'm working today came from a lot of experience. Because again, when somebody wants to learn what I, what I know, I am happy to train them and teach them. So a lot of experience. So that's a lot of years of my constantly working uh, in the schools, in the community, in agencies. Uh, now um, I kept I had contracts to still do diversity work in companies, community, not just schools in the community. But guess what? I, I kept doing diversity work, but now I did it in circle. So it's like to do to do continue to do diversity work and know what I know now about restorative justice and safe space was like a marriage. 
It's like, because mm. when I worked as a diversity trainer before I learned restorative justice, we were in circle all the time because of the benefit of seeing people being in circle, but no talk mm. in peace, no ceremony atmosphere, but we did take turns talk, but it wasn't, it didn't look like a circle. But now I know restorative justice and peace circles. I continue to do diversity work and these are subjects these are these are uh, subjects that people don't want to talk about at all. But now you create this you create this space where everybody feels like they're connected. It's it's just beautiful. It's a marriage, and so yeah. I kept doing both. I keep doing restorative work and I keep doing diversity work, but in a peace circle. Yeah, for me, uh, something that you said t- uh, a couple minutes ago. Uh, there's sometimes that you say no. You say yes to so many opportunities. What would make you say no? Hmm. What would make me say no? Uh, well, it would depend on what kind of circle. There are many, many different kinds of circles, but uh, a conflict circle where they're not in agreement of the harm that was caused. If you are, if, mm-hmm. if you are saying I caused you harm and yeah, we'll, yes, we'll sit in circle, but I'm saying, no, I don't know what he's talking about, but I'll sit in circle anyway. I wouldn't take that. I wouldn't do that circle because as a circle keeper, we are not a judge. I am not there to decide who's right or wrong. And most people come into spaces thinking that somebody's right or wrong in conflict. But if there is an understanding that something has occurred and someone was hum, and instead of punishing, we can come together and talk about what needs to happen and what I need from this experience, then, then I can do that. But the times where it's a conflict and people are not in agreement with what should happen, uh, and how it, it I, I would say no, I would say no. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or if someone's not ready, I have worked with people where I met with them one-on-one, not in a circle, just preparation, talking to them. And I can come, I, I can tell after just experiencing being with them that they're simply not ready. But then I'll ask, well, what would you like to have happen? And it could be anything, but they're just not ready to be in circle. And then I would say, okay, uh, they're not ready right now because you don't want to force people to sit in circle because that goes against that whole space you're trying to create. Yeah, definitely. Um, It definitely has to be a voluntary thing, Mm -hmm. right? Um, There has to be um, some willingness to take uh, responsibility. And I think like to your, to what you were saying, like people can mm-hmm. be coached to get to that place. Um, but you don't, um, you don't always have the time and energy to do that for, for, for that person. That makes right, a lot of sense. Right. Um, you were also sharing that, you know, you've been doing this work. Um, you did this work like independently mm-hmm. for about mm-hmm. what that was like, I can do math, <laughs> what, 12 years, <laughs> uh, 12 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. right? Yes. You said, one of the ways that you've learned is just saying yes to all these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and with saying yes uh, comes learning from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. What is uh, like an oat moment that like, you had and then learned from? Hmm. Well, I working with agencies, when I was with uh, Task, I got to know and do work at a lot of other agencies through that agency. I also worked at the day reporting center with sheriffs at the, at the jail and different people in different organizations. So the kind of jobs I would get, I get called to do 
was to go back to these places that I worked in. Uh, one mm-hmm. particular agency, I went in to train the staff and they were working with youth, youth coming out of prison, but they would work with the families first in circle. Like I taught them how to do circles. They were circle keepers in this organization. And then they would go into jail and work with the youth that's getting ready to come out. And then they would come together in the end when the young, when their young people got out to talk about what they needed to get to reintegrate back into the community. I trained the staff, but I, I didn't realize that the, the turnover was new people coming in and out. And mm-hmm. so what the work that I've done with the first group of people that really was well, but then new people were coming in and I wasn't checking on those people. I, that's how I learned when I train an organization, I get I create a circle team, you go back and check on them. And so this mm-hmm. in this organization, it was just turmoil. They didn't get along. They, they didn't like the new supervisor that came in. And so the work that we had hoped to continue just stopped. It really did. It stopped. And I was, it, it just showed me a new way of, of doing this work. So now when I train people or when I create these circle keepers, it is my responsibility to check in to, to make sure that the work is continuing. And when new people come in, and, I, and this worked with a school that I'm very proud of. Actually, Cheryl did this with me out in uh, Argyle Gardens. When a new person came in, this principal will call me and say, can you come and do a training with the new staff? And so since then, and I saw how successful that was, where everyone was on board. You don't want to have some people knowing this work and income new people and just tear down everything you've done. And so mm. my moments were when there were situations where the work just stopped, where I was working at, a, at an elementary school and there were some young students from Roosevelt University shadowing me to learn the peace circle and how to create the circle room in the school. I also did not go back to that school until like they called me in to do a circle and all the staff were like, oh, where you been? We miss you. And I said, well, how's the circle room? It was gone. No more circle room. Oh no, the the students didn't keep it up there. So that was very, and I was very fond of the work that I did at that school, but it didn't continue. And so then I started to think this is not a one shot thing that it's it's a community restorative justice, especially in schools, in communities as well. It's a community that you create and you want to go back and check on your community. So it taught me those experiences, those two experiences taught me how that that it's never ending. You, if you create these communities, these safe spaces that is never ending, it grows and it grows and it grows. Yeah. There's there's a lot to pull out in there. One of the things that really stands out to me is that, um, you know, you can teach people the skills. Um, um, think about it like planting a tree. You can you can plant seeds, right? Or planting a plant. But like if the ground that it's in, the community that it's in, like isn't like conducive to helping those seeds grow, if the community isn't really bought into that process, like it's only going to go so far and it might leave with that person. Right. Um, and at the same time, um, communities aren't always ready, uh, to make that, that change. Um, so I know I've experienced this as well, working in schools where, you know, we go in, train a couple people Mm -hmm. and then like, it's not fully embraced by everyone. Um, 
how do we how do we do something different? Well, here's what's happening now. A lot of good stuff is happening now, believe it or not, with the training of people, especially the the implementing in schools. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to be part of working with uh, NEA, National Education Association. And one of the best things I saw that they did when they would send people to our trainings is that they would not just send one person, they would send uh, the principal, some teachers, community folks, um, parents. Now it's catching on that you create a restorative team. And that makes all the difference, especially in schools, if the community is really a community and not just one or two people. So I'm seeing that happening a lot, especially with uh, NEA, with them embracing the idea of creating a restorative team inside of these, these institutions. And that's working, that works really well. And then have someone there that's that's doing it with integrity that's keeping it going and that can uh, bring on other people and have other people train so i'm glad to see that that has changed now it's just not you can't just send one person back and now whoopee we're doing restorative justice you have to create a team of people that does this work i want to do this work with passion Right. And I think one of the other things that NEA does well, and you've shared this, um, you've, you follow up with folks um, or they come back, mm-hmm. right? Because it's one thing um, you, you shared like the, the five years of, you know, kind of just learning um, and learning by doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've learned so much more over the last, you know, 20, mm-hmm. right? But to the, you weren't ready to train people or help people build that community after going through one training mm-hmm. with Kay, Absolutely right? Absolutely not. I, I was ready, I thought to sit in circle and maybe uh, I, could, I knew the way to get to that point was to continue to sit in circle. I didn't, I really, after that experience with Kay, I didn't know many other people that were doing it. I really just didn't. And so I continued to do circle in within the agency and I did train some people in the agency uh, that I was in at the time. And then when I saw what people were needing and what people were wanting, what people were missing, it just came to me, this is how I would do this. After taking that training of trainers, I had a big binder of all the practices, not just peace circles, but uh, uh, mediation, family conferencing, peer jury, all of that I learned how to do. And so I started doing that in schools as well. But Right. I, I think like even like restorative conversations, restorative right? Conversations. Sometimes people, sometimes people like, oh, we need a circle. It's mm, like, right. have you just talked to somebody? Absolutely. <laughs> like, have you asked them like, what happened? What do you need? Absolutely. <laughs> um, some, some, it doesn't need Absolutely. to be, it doesn't need to be that big all of the time. Nope. And it's right. Sometimes also I've learned they just sitting and listening. I've had, I've had experience of coming into the circle to to do the circle around one particular thing, but in that creating safety part of the, the peace circle, we never got to that. We never really had to touch on it. All people needed to do is just listen to one another. You know, our follow-up circles, I could, uh, uh, what do you need to happen next? And they would say, oh, we done, we got it. So sometimes just having that conversation, that restorative conversation can lead you or let you know what needs to happen next. But you, people will tell you, once that space is created, once you just sit and have that conversation, they'll let you know. 
and let you know what what's needed. Yeah, um, I want to go go back to the very beginning of our conversation. Um, you were a model. You were in fashion. Um, what helped you uh, make that turn from that um, to diversity and then into this work? Oh, when I returned back to New York after living in Europe, I, I started out my career in, in New York City. When I got back toward the end of the 80s, no, beginning of the 90s, New York had changed a lot. So I moved to Chicago, continuing on contract with my agency in New York. But I, I'm a martial artist also, so I started doing martial arts in New York. And so when I got to Chicago, uh, I, I joined the martial arts school and I was teaching yoga in that school and just being quiet because when you go into a martial arts school, everything is pow, 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 loud. I had the ability to like start out classes being real calm. And so Leo Hayden, the person that I started to, that I learned to diversity work from, um, I met him at the Cook County Jail because my martial arts teacher suggested that I go volunteer in the jail with the women and teach them meditation and teach them how to be still. And I did, and, and, and that's how I met Leo. I was going, I, somebody helped me, my neighbor on the north side where I live, worked at task and he helped me to make that connection where I got into the jail. He said, I know this person that looking for someone to work with their women. So I'm still going back and forth between New York and Chicago working as a, a model. But I took that job and advice from my martial arts teacher and went into the Cook County Jail and started working with the women and it was very calming work and women were starting to like being still, kind of like how you feel in a peace circle. They started not returning back to jail. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They were returning home. It was, it was nonviolent cases. So they weren't living in the jail. They just had to show up every day. But then mm -hmm. they started to care about themselves, care about the things they were learning by just being in quiet space and talking. We built a community just like you would do in a circle. And that raised a red flag. My, my boss said, I mean, Leo Hayden, the man that introduced me to diverse work said, who is this person that's changing this whole program? And he says, you know, you have a good heart. You're doing good work with the women. Uh, I would like you to come to a training that I'm doing. And that's how I got into task. He brought me into that agency. And then I took that training for the diversity training. There are a few exercises in there where, where the heart and other exercises that I were able to expand on. Uh, I liked it and I liked the training, the diversity work or training that I learned. And that's how I moved slowly out of fashion to working with uh, that population. And that's when I started working for TAS, just by volunteer from the advice of my martial arts teacher into the jail and then from the jail getting hired at task and i'm slowly moving out of fashion because i'm getting older and i didn't want to run around in chicago with all these 20 year olds and 18 year olds <laughs> so i said what can i do next it kind of found me I, I wasn't looking for anything i wasn't like oh my god i'm panicking i gotta retire from modeling what i'm gonna do it just slowly moved towards me with the people right and everything was but there. but there was something about you right um and i don't like, because leo right like identified like you know you were just showing up in that space with those women mm -hmm. in a certain kind of way mm -hmm. how did you get to be that way when i when i left the south 
South North Carolina, I was scared, so, so scared because I remember I'm born on a farm with other farm children, no exposure to people, just, you know, really frightened. Uh, again, my experience getting to North Carolina Central University in Durham, North Carolina to New York, were kind of my, my chance of bumping into people that kind of led me, continued to lead me away from the South. Uh, I just left, and I credit this to being born and raised in the South, I just left with this passion for people and being real humble. And, and I carried that into that career with me when I moved to New York, mainly out of fear, not knowing people and not knowing, but still having that desire to do it. I, uh, I just, my mom, I have a great mother that just cares for everybody. I think that just stuck with me. And I was that way in a business where you normally don't see people like that. Everything's fast in entertainment. Everything is fast. It's parties, it's going traveling, it's moving around. But I was very humble and I was very inquisitive. I, I wanted to meet people and because I didn't know people, uh, I, just, I just had a tentative ear and eye for people. And I, be, I remain humble through that whole career. And then after leaving, moving to Europe, the same way, I, I had a passion to know things. Because again, I thought growing up on a farm in the South, I would never know people or know other countries or know other things and other foods. So I, I just cared, I, brought, I took that with me everywhere I went is that, that caring, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that non-judgmental, that compassion only because I wanted curiosity. Yeah, and curiosity only because I wanted it. I wanted it. I wanted it. And moving from New York to Chicago, uh, I met wonderful people. I met wonderful people, but I still brought that compassion for people with me. And I learned in the diversity work that I was doing, uh, there's an exercise. I don't think you know this exercise called the pure heart that I do when I do my diversity work. Um, that show. Explain that. Um, well, first I draw a huge heart on a flip chart paper. And I, I, I have a way of getting these words from people like beautiful. I say if, parents, if there's any parents in the, in the circle or people that. So, so I, I have done this with you. You have done it. Um, so, right. So you, you draw the, you draw the big heart, right. Mm -hmm. And then you ask people to, give you words, to describe words, to describing a, a newborn baby. And you get precious, but these words are, are what I know. I believe in my heart that we are born with. We have compassion. We are innocent. We are sweet. We are lovely. We are beautiful. Every human being come into this world with that. And now, every emphasis on every not some and then i ask them to help me do something with this heart and then i get i start to give scars and then all of us have scars and i have had scars growing up in the south and scars all over uh, the world so i start to scar that heart this when it's visual you use a red marker and people, if that space is safe, because I love doing this exercise in circle because the, safe, the space is safe, people will start to just tell you their scars, being put out of school, going to jail, incarceration, burying a parent, losing a parent, uh, just all uh, starvation, abandonment, all these scars that, that lets you, the idea is to let you see that uh, we all have scars and that we have trauma. to be, and trauma now the word is trauma yes and we have to be more gentle with one another in order to do the work that needs to be done around anything mm -hmm. when that exercise was introduced to me 
And, and when it was introduced to me, it wasn't visual. We just talked about it in the circle. So I created that drawing the heart and the baby situation, asking for words from a baby. When I when I learned that, I realized, okay, this is this is my ankle. This is what's gonna keep me uh, holding people dear, holding people accountable, but also without the judgment, without the needing to punish people. Because you never know what people are carrying, what people have been through. I think of that, Heart, that exercise almost daily and in any situation I'm in or with any other human being I encounter, the first thought comes to me is, I wonder what kind of scars that she has or he have. And it helps me to keep that compassion that I know I have for people and that I do this work with. It really changed What's my life. What's an example of that? An example of of you said it was a daily practice. What's oh, an example? I, I, I look at, I, I sit still, uh, I look in the mirror and uh, I will first visualize my scars, but I also will visualize how far I have come. And then we kind of, uh, there's, a, there's a mantra I quote every day. It's I unconditionally love and support myself just the way I am and all my power and magnificence. I do that daily. Mm. I do it daily. And so I actually teach that also as in closing in, one, in some of my circles that we have to mirror that how we're feeling about ourselves first, and then it reflects back to who you're with. So learning diversity work, but learning that exercise in particular and that mantra has helped me with doing this work with the compassion that I do it with. I'm not just, when I step out of the circle, I'm not just me that I was in a circle. I'm this way and I practice to be this way. It just happened, the characters in me works well and helps me do this job as a Peace Circle trainer. I mean, as a, yes, as a trainer and a circle keeper, it helps. Yeah, it, what what I'm getting out of that is, you know, circle um, it is a way of being. Uh, a couple episodes back uh, of this podcast, we had Helen Thomas, who um, is a Lakota, uh, of Lakota descent and uh, from her mom, she she learned the words restorative justice in school, mm-hmm. but from her mom, she was just told, you know, we live in this circle way. It's just this way of being uh, like you're saying, like where it's mm-hmm. compassion, um, empathy for the other, um, that non-judgment, knowing that we are interconnected. One of the things that I remember from a training that we did together, um, Chile, um, <laughs> Orlando, um, one of the values that he put into the circle was in la catch. And you were like, yes. what does that mean? <laughs> um, in la catch um, is, a, is a phrase that's become really oh, yeah. uh, dear to me. Um, I actually have it uh, a, tattooed. Oh, uh, good for you. Look at that. And yeah. this comes with a little uh, poem or something. It comes with a reading that he did. Yeah, right. Uh, um, and I've shared it. I, oh, no. It's actually on the last episode of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> But it goes um, in Spanish than English. Tu eres mi otro yo. You are my other me. Si te hago daño a ti, if I do harm to you, me hago daño a mí mismo. I do harm to myself. If I love, uh, sorry, si te amo y respeto, if I love and support you, me amo y respeto yo. I love and respect myself. Right. So so it's kind of getting to this idea of of interconnection that, um, you know, all of our ancestors have not just um, Mm -hmm. uh, in La Catch Mm -hmm. is a Mayan phrase, but like the Lakota use Mitakweas and we are all relatives. Mm -hmm. Um, Our African ancestors use Ubuntu. Right. I am because you are. And it's just really living in line 
with that value um, that helps us helps us do this work. Nice. Absolutely. I, I, I love it. I use it now, but uh, Chile use when Chile and I were doing work at St. Charles with the youth, he also introduced it to the youth there. And it's just amazing. It's really beautiful. You know, one of the, the principles of RJ, the seven, one of them says, we already have the gifts. We already mm-hmm. come with the gifts that, that's everything that's, we need to make positive absolutely. changes already it's, here. It's, it's true. It's so very true. And we just have to tap into that. I, I believe that everyone do carry that. Uh, if you get so lucky and find yourself as a restorative justice practitioner, you get to practice that. So that's, that's what yeah. this work does. It, it gives you an opportunity to practice that that's already there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we brought up Jilly, you mentioned St. Charles, um, you two work together at Precious Blood Ministry of Reconciliation. Um, we talked about, you know, how you did work independently, started to meet all these cool people. Mm -hmm. Some of them worked out of Precious Blood, but now that's where you're doing a lot of your work. Um, tell us about what's going on there. Oh, that's my second home. I live in Oak Park in, in Illinois, but my second home is back of the yard. Um, CJYI, they have a, a personal and working relationship with Precious Blood. So Cheryl and I had been doing work together now and training together. And then her, and in the four days that we're doing now was all, already happening at Precious Blood. But Cheryl had a conversation with Father Dave Kelly. I think he was looking for someone to grow restorative justice at Precious Blood. And now mm-hmm. restorative, uh, Precious Blood is a community hub, but it's a restorative justice community hub. So it makes sense that he eventually would want to have visible more restorative justice, more trainings, more uh, circles being done at Precious Blood. So it was Cheryl Graves, uh, my friend and training partner who suggested to Father Kelly, I know this person, which would be me, that would probably be really good because she's already just doing restorative justice and trainings and circles. And so I met with Father Kelly and Sister Donna. And you know, at that point, I'm not thinking of going into a space that looks like a nine to five. That's just not my spirit at all. And so mm-hmm. I, uh, I met with them and and I, it took some time. At that time, we were, I was in the middle of helping plan a restorative justice uh, mini conference at Roosevelt University. So I decided to continue to do that, complete that, and, and give it some thought. And, you know, walking in precious blood, it is just, it is just, I can't explain itself, but it's just sacred to me because I know the work that we're doing, or they were doing before I joined, it's really special. It is, mm-hmm. I look at a community hub as you adopting the community. You are there to address all the needs of the entire community. And when you go in, walk into Precious Blood, you feel that. And everyone, all the staff, Father Kelly, Father Denny, all of the staff there, if you come through those doors, I believe you have that heart where you wanna make a difference. And it is true. I love my coworkers. I love the staff at Precious Blood. It's a great fit for me. Uh, it's not a controlled environment where you got to report here and then leave at the end of the day at this time. We're doing what we do and everybody's doing something different. So we're coming and going. They have, we have a returning citizen. We have a community person. We have 
education lab. We have community garden, so much going on that people are just doing it and they're doing it with their heart. Uh, and so I took a look at this and I says, well, I really could do a lot more, bring a lot more restorative justice here. I saw how I could. At first it was just working with the programs. And so I was doing circles within the programs that's in Precious Mode. But I, I really am a trainer. I have to continue to train people and bring that to a bigger level than what it was happening. I saw that it was a good fit, that I could still continue to do my trainings as well as train people at Precious Blood. And so there are a lot of circle keepers at Precious Blood. Almost everyone, new staff goes through the four day. So that made me purposeful. That made me have a place to do what I love to do. Just not traveling as much, but it's so fulfilling there that I'm not missing the travel. I still travel some, of course I can't now with the Corona going on, but it's so much good that's being done at Precious Blood that I'm not missing on my own and traveling. It's kind of like I found the family, a family that resembles what I am and what I love to do. And so they laugh at me, but I run around and I call myself the, the RJ police, I don't want to say. But I just, you know, if something needs a circle, if I think we should be going to circle, I'll, I'll make that happen. Uh, I'm always on people about getting trained. And when, when it's a precious blood staff in the training, I give it my all my best because I want them to understand what this is that we really do and what it's about to be in, a be part of restorative justice hub. That's real major, and it's important that people understand what that really means. Not just circles, but what is restorative justice? Mm -hmm. So that's- What is restorative justice? It is a relationship. It is community building. It is a philosophy, a way of thinking. You know, it's, it's even if you can imagine a restorative school, it's a philosophy, way of being, way of thinking, where everything is in place, meaning all people are aware of what it is. Uh, you know, I, this is a true story. Youth were gonna be suspended because his uniform was always dirty and they would send him away. Send him away because his uniform was dirty, not knowing that this kid may be homeless or didn't have ways of washing the uniform. But the difference between that school and a restorative justice school, a restorative justice school will have a closet full of brand new uniforms. So when that person comes, then you can get him in the school, keep him in the school to find out why your uniform are always dirty, but you got a new uniform for him to put on while you find mm -hmm. that out. You don't turn anybody away. And, right. and so- Even that or like a place to do laundry, <laughs> right? A machine, wash machine and dryer. That's the difference. So it's a way of thinking and being and- it, Meeting people's meeting needs. Meeting people's needs. You know, there's, when you- when you change something in, in, in diversity work, there's a seven-step change model day where you first have to become aware and then you have to experience. You have to do it and try it on. And so usually uh, if, if someone says, oh, you need to be more restorative, or you need, but you have to find out what that is first and then you have to kind of walk in and live it, do some experiences around what it means mm -hmm. to be restorative. And so it's not a program. It's not a okay, we're getting ready to do this program called restorative justice. It's just a way of being a, a philosophy, a way of thinking and a way of seeing things. Yeah. 
I mean, so the way that I've defined it with Amplify RJ is kind of exactly what you said, philosophy, set of practices rooted in indigenous mm-hmm. teachings, right? Because it's so mm-hmm. important to remember that, you know, like you said, like we've already known this, like our ancestors knew this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, both proactively <laughs> building and maintaining relationships, right? Meeting people's mm-hmm. needs and then repairing harm That's when it happens instead of uh, punishing people, meeting people's needs to prevent future harm. Um what does that look like in your life? Because, uh, and I, you've shared, uh, you've shared the work that you do. Mm-hmm. You shared, um, you know, some of the experiences that you had. Uh, we do this thing on the podcast called this restorative moment um, where we ask the guests to think about a time, hopefully recently uh, where restorative justice has played mm-hmm. a role in your life. Um, and I w- if it's helpful, I'm going to play, the recording of someone else answering the question. Would you like to hear that? Mm -hmm, Sure. This week's restorative moment comes from Kaylee Holdren. Take it away, Kaylee. So my restorative moment was with a student. Uh, Right before we ended our quarter, I was able, she was one of my virtual students, and I was able to finally connect with her and Zoom with her. And she let me know how things were going because I had no contact and she was apologizing. And you could just tell that she was having a really rough time. Um, when I actually got to talk with her, she opened up about how things were hard and having no motivation. And I totally felt that because I have been in a similar place as her recently. And she's a really creative person. And so hearing her speak about how she has no motivation to do art things or even play music, which is something that's very dear to her, I was able to connect with her on that level. And by the end of the call, I could tell things were better because both of us had almost cried in that moment because it's hard being that person that's not sure what to do when you have nothing left to give creatively. What I found out is that she actually is essentially working uh, part-time, but as an adult. So working five days a week and thought that was normal for a high school student who's also trying to do school Um, and was able to connect with her and say that what she's feeling with no motivation is very normal for an adult who works a full-time job and comes home and has to do things and doesn't want to. Um, And I was actually able to connect with her in person later that same day, and we got to make art outside and be creative together, which was really awesome. And not something that I would have been able to do had I not stopped and actually heard her and instead of being like, where have you been? Why are you have missing assignments? And like actually sitting with her um, and listening to her story and seeing how she was and where she was. Thanks, Kaylee. If you want to send in your restorative moment, you can email us either a voice memo or just type out the story to amplifyrj at gmail.com. Now back to Pam with her restorative moment. Um, <laughs> two things. One, one is, and, and I'm going to tell you, uh, Okay, there is this thing, first I wanna say this, when like uh, uh, the microwave version of restorative justice is this page, is this little thing that says, what the old way of thinking, uh, what happened, what rules were bro- broken, who's to blame and who should be punished. That's the old way of thinking. Now the restorative way is what happened, uh, who was harmed. And I think there's a fourth one, but I know it ends with how do we make this right? which is a big difference from wanting to punish someone. It's automatically what happened? You know, what, what, how do we make this right? Who was harmed? Where's, where's the harm? Where do we need to focus at? So before I learned restorative 
justice. I'm a, I live, I have a 24 year old daughter. Uh, before I learned about restorative justice and, and circles, it was doing my, when I was doing diversity work. Anyway, uh, my daughter, I had just paid off my beautiful car and it was, you know, my, my Seabray, it was just beautiful. Make a long story short, she and a neighbor, she and a neighbor stole the keys. She's like 11, the neighbor's like 15 and they steal the keys and get in my car and drive around the block, just around the block and just towed up the car. Ran into a pole, just messed it up. And I got out to the street cause I hear people's coming and knocking on my door and I'm coming out to the street and there's my car. And you know, I, I remember just only wanting to know what happened and who was in the car and 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 where's the insurance and and are you okay what's the harm here i see the car but i need to know what happened who was home and then i just looked at my daughter and all i said is what do we need to do now to make this right we have to fix this that is as restorative as i can imagine ever can be and it came so natural to me. And other people will be thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna kill her, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. I really, I really wanted to know, David, how to fix this and what was the harm done, nothing more than that. And then yes, the one thing I needed was a neighbor to take her away. <laughs> the neighbor took her to her house, but that's how I came at that. And I was being very restored. And throughout that whole thing, a lot of other things had to happen. Yes, the police, her father coming. Oh, a lot of stuff happened, but I stuck with how to handle that. Fast forward, I'm in LA doing a training and I'm working at Precious Blood. Some, something happened where someone had stole some computers and I was on the phone. I was still the go-to person, even when I'm traveling. You gotta come back and do a circle because we wanna put this kid out to the center. This kid did the, all of that. And so I came back and what happened is that you don't wanna punish people. You don't wanna put people out. My thought was to this person, how or what do we need to do next? So this will feel like home and you will not want to do harm to it. Yeah. That's the difference. What, that's how you approach that restoratively. What can we do? And, and, and the natives have this thing too, where if someone's found guilty from having a, doing a crime, you come together and you say, we're in trouble. We're in trouble because we didn't do something to prevent you from wanting to do harm to another human being. That's thinking restorative not how to punish someone, but what do you need now? So you don't want to harm anyone or to my daughter, what do we do now? Uh, to the person that stole, that hurt, that caused harm to the center, what do we need to do to make this right? Yeah, and I think there's like an assumption there that like, we are going to be together. We're not throwing anybody oh, away. So how are how are we gonna how are we gonna make this work? Right? You don't have a choice. Like you're you're a part of me, right? 
Uh, and so, and that's the key word. We... You're a part of me. The poem you just read, remember the poem. That's what that speaks about. When you're a part of me and I'm a part of you, what do we do to make this right? Uh, and that's how, in my time, in my experience of having those aha moments restoratively, you can even see uh, people change. You can even see people. Wow, you know, this is not normal, but it is. Maybe the other way is not normal, but that is the practice we need to get back to. Uh, I do it now with the work I'm doing with Chicago police officers, the work I'm doing with people that be considered gang members, uh, people that are being harmed, are causing harm. What do we need to do next? Yeah. Um, I didn't think we were gonna go there, but what does your work with the police look like? Um, it warms my heart to know I have been part of uh, introducing restorative justice and peace circles to uh, a number of Chicago police officers. When I'm done working, sitting on the porch in North Carolina, I'm gonna think about all the great things I've done in my life. That's gonna be one of them. That's gonna be one uh, to have been a part of a experience where I, the work that I've done with not all of them, but the ones that did embrace it are doing really good work and they, they asked for it. They wanna know what can we do to go into the community, to have something to go into the community where we build relationship or try to be part of that community. And Peace Circles is one of the ways you can do that. And it's not just sitting in circle, maybe it's now that you know about circles, doing something in a community like a cook-off, a basketball game, or watching a movie, and then coming back and holding circle about it. So that's what uh, I learned uh, when I went back to, to see what the officers that we trained were doing. They were doing that kind of stuff. I think the first set of officers we trained, Selma, the movie Selma was out, had just come out. And I mm -hmm. think they brought some youth into the station and they saw the movie Selma and then they separated and had all these mini circles around uh, what that was about, experiencing that. Uh, I think that, like you said earlier, we don't throw folks away. We don't get rid of people. We just bring people together and see what we need to do next. And so- Yeah, I mean, I think like the difference is like an individual police officer, yes, but policing as an institution and the system, no. um, like that's, that's where I struggle, right? Because um, from what I've observed and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like when police officers come to trainings or you do officer, uh, if you do trainings with police officers, right? Like they're doing it on the clock with uh, their weapons on their hip or on their ankle um, as a part of like making policing as an institution mm -hmm. stronger, right? Um, how, do you, how do you reconcile that? Well, for me, for me, if that's the only way it has to happen, it's the beginning. We can chip away at having that look and show up differently but in the moment, if it shows up like that, I, I work with it. I, it's better than nothing at all. Those are the kind of community conversations that need to happen. Those are the conversations that need to happen. So it's a beginning. It's where we at, and we and we chip at it little by little. You see, same thing with with young people that that people the, the community is afraid of the young people in the neighborhood because they're in a gang they're doing this and they're doing that the, the conversation needs to happen we know that 
And so we start where we can. And then in circle, we can address, well, I'm uncomfortable because you're sitting here with this and that on. That's where you have that conversation. You don't walk away saying, oh, I don't want to have nothing to do with that because of this. You have the conversation in the circle. Mm. Yeah. How do we... There, there's two follow-ups that I have in mind. One is, you know, for me, it's like, I don't want those people to continue to be police officers. I want them to do something else. I, I want them to do this work in the community. You don't have to wear the badge. You don't have to um, hold the gun to, to be this kind of person, right? Well, I think there's two things happening there. Uh, like whatever we chose to do in life, whatever, when someone has a passion to be a doctor or a passion to be a plumber or a passion to be a baseball player, if that's my passion, that's my job. Uh, I have a passion to be an officer. It, it, even though we're seeing the bad, we're seeing the wrongdoing, uh, it doesn't have to represent that's what that job is. It's the individual that's bringing all the negative and the wrong and the racism to it. But that's a job that someone has a passion for. As a kid, I'm dreaming about saving the community of being a person that takes a job where I'm part of helping the community. That doesn't go away when we see all this bad stuff happening. So I wouldn't say if someone wants to be, uh, if somebody wants to do this work, then give up being a police officer, give up your badge and your gun. <laughs> no, I would never say that. If that's your passion and that's your work, then do it with that. Do it with empathy and passion and build a relationship. I think it could be done, but that's someone's job. You know, that's a battle that we don't need to spend energy on. The energy needs to be spent on how do we work together in the community? How do we bring the passion and empathy as a human being that is promised to serve and protect? I took a pledge to serve and protect. Uh, that's a battle I'm not gonna fight. <laughs> I'm gonna keep touching people's hearts where it really counts. How you show up is okay. You show up any way you want to. That's what you, that's your life. That's your passion. You know, embrace who, however you show up. You know, doctor, lawyer, police officer, mailman, butcher, whatever. Mm -hmm. But you wanna reach people deeper than that. You wanna reach people, if I was an officer, and having the character that I have, it would be important that you see me, not the uniform, not mm -hmm. the gun, look into my heart and see. And I have met people, I have met officers that are struggling with that because when you mm -hmm. see me, you see the uniform, you don't see the person. And that's what we try to create when we sit in circle and when we, Officers want to be trained with the program Bridges of Divine. Vanessa is doing great work with the officers in that program. They're trying to do the work where you see them. And without the uniform and a gun, would that be easier? Of course. Of course it would. So let's work together so that'll eventually happen. But right now, right. it doesn't happen a lot, but I'm sure it does. Some officers work on their off-duty, off-time. So we got to chip at it, but we don't not do it because the way it shows up. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that I have to continue to struggle with, like the world as it is right where we have like racist institutions of policing um, and people who are wanting to protect their communities, um, seeing that as a way to do it and like wanting to move into a world where 
communities are able to take care of themselves um, through centers like Precious Blood and other members of the community stepping up. And um, you think about the guys in Little Village, um, um, the and you you have them at Precious Blood, the the, the violence interrupters there who are addressing uh, community harm. Right. Um, I know I know we are generations away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like for me, just holding that tension of like, can I? really for me, like, can I see past your badge right now? Can I see past your badge? Like, I can, I can see you as a human, like, if you're not showing up in your job, (laughs) (laughs) but like when your job is attached to so much harm for our community, I don't, I I don't know how to. That's, that's very well put. Your job is attached to the harm in the community. That's the conversation that we should be having right there. How does it turn out? How does we, how do they fix it? We don't know, but right there, what you just said is the conversation because it has, it has come to that where your badge is attached to the harm and the violence that I see in my community. Then sooner or later, someone has to listen to that, but no one's going to listen if it's not being said, but if it's being said in a harsh way, in a non-peaceful way, I'm not going to hear it. It needs to be said in a place and a space where it would be accepted. And I know circles can allow that space. And I'm not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect circle keeper. I'm not. I'm not on that level yet. I'm not on that level <laughs> okay, yet. Okay. Um, um, we. The other thing that this uh, made me think of, and I didn't think we were going to know here either. We're recording this conversation on October 24, which is a week and a half before um, mm-hmm. the election. Um, do you see a way that restorative justice and circles work um, can heal some of the divide um, in our country? Oh, that's a big one. Uh, there's a lot of division. There's a lot of division. But what is that division? It's, it's race right now that seems to be everywhere. Um, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's going back to, even, even when, the, when it happens, people are gonna need space where they can talk about how they're feeling about it happening, whatever is gonna happen, you know? <laughs> whatever is gonna happen. But right now, because of this election, people are experiencing trauma. They're experiencing fear, real fear. The only, the only thing I can see happening is just coming together and having those conversations on how, how are people feeling and what are they going to need and what do they need to continue uh, to, to, to get through this. But not just the election, but what's happening with COVID. There's a lot of fear around that. There are a lot of doubt around that. There's a lot of, right now in the world today, there's a lot going on that divides us, a lot going on that's causing fear. And so, but it's, and it's not being talked about. You know, I've, I've had the privilege of doing uh, some circles around racism uh, and gonna got a few coming up. Uh, not a lot of COVID stuff going on, but I did do a video to help families who want to come together at their own space, at their own home, whether it's at the kitchen table, uh, but how to have those effective conversations about how they're feeling with one another, because it it affects how they're treating one another. So if yeah. people are not talking about this, if people are not worried about this, 
uh, and having conversations about it, it's, we're just going to be walking around in a daze of fear and trauma. Yeah. And I think like, I, I definitely see the way that like, you know, we can create healing space, safe space mm-hmm. for people who we're already in relationship with. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the division isn't between people who we're already in relationship with for the most part. Right. It's uh, both on right and left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will mm-hmm. say that it's both on right and left. Like we see the other side as, you know, not a part of us. We, we just talked about like, we're all connected, mm-hmm. right. We yeah. can't throw people away. Um, is there a way forward with uh, restorative justice in, in healing circles and circle work to, to address that? They have to want it first. They have to ask mm-hmm. for it. I, I don't, to be honest, I don't see it happening a lot right now. Uh, I don't see that. But if someone is asking and wanting it, then they'd have to take that step and that initiative. Uh, but it's, it's gotten out of control. It really has. And I think that we have to take care of ourselves. We have to be present for people who are asking for it. Uh, that's the best I can do right now. Yeah. You know? That circle for circle keepers we're going to have um, the week after that is, election is going to be. Is a, it on Monday the third? When is the third? No. So it's. Uh, so the circle for circle keepers is going to be on the ninth. So the week after. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've already been thinking about oh, that. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And that, you know, speaking of that, uh, that's a good thing that's happening, too. That's one of the follow ups that I'm glad that that CJY had t- took the initiative to create and start is that bringing people that do this work like ourselves together uh, once a month. It's a really good thing because people do leave that space uh, feeling like that they are contributing to what's going on by just being a circle keeper, by just knowing restorative justice. So those mm-hmm. continuing follow-ups and being part of this community is really, really important because I see it being necessary and going to be needed so much more after this. We, I, yeah. I, see, I see the increase of circles and RJ restorative justice at precious blood over the last few months uh, we've grown it's a larger agency now so a lot is going on but it's not just circles for problems or confusion it's, it's celebration coming together and and celebrating each other or just information uh, I created this thing once a month with our young men at precious blood where we bring in someone from the outside that our young men may not come in contact with you know, and just having a conversation. And that's very helpful. It's very helpful, very rewarding. So we have to keep doing what we do to keep the relationships and communities building. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's not just like the response to harm. It's not like the thing that we do to, um, you know, bring more people into, I guess, like help people see like the connections between all of us and how we really Absolutely. do depend on each other. Absolutely. Um, I have a couple questions that like we kind of already started to address, um, but uh, just whatever comes to your mind first. They're supposed to be quick, but sometimes I ask follow-up questions. <laughs> um, what is one place or situation you wish people really knew this work? Oh, good one. Schools. <laughs> people keep saying give- that. I will not give up. Uh, I did give up at one time, but I, I'm back now once I started seeing how 
uh, they kind of catching on with having created these teams. But our young people are in trouble. The ones that are in school, because when they leave school, especially black and brown children, when they leave school, they are in communities that are suffering. They're in communities that are in a lot of trouble. There, can you imagine getting up, coming to school? That's if we didn't have COVID and you were going to school every day. You're not feeling safe in your community. You're not feeling safe at home. Then you get to school and you still don't feel safe. What does that look like? What, is my, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna uh, medicate myself. I'm gonna buy some weed probably, cause that's easy to get. Uh, I'm gonna join a gang and get a gun because of the excitement, at least I'm doing something and I'm a part of something, but there is no place where you can go and feel safe, meaning someone is letting you know that they care about you and they wanna know what's going on with you. Yeah. So, and, and, and restorative justice do that. When we're, I did a circuit precious blood with our young men and the last question I asked was, what do you want more of from Precious Blood, from us? And one of the young men said, more, meeting more often, often in spaces like this. Because mm -hmm. it's needed, you know? If, if you think personally yourself, if you did not feel safe where you at right now, when you finish this part, that is not safe, you can't go outside, there's everything chaos out there. Where, you, where are you going for that? where people will listen to you. And when something is bothering you that you have a problem with, where do you take that? Who's gonna hear you? And so, yeah, for me, I think the schools are in trouble and our young people is who, is where we should be focusing on because they're the young people that continue to carry this on. You know, yeah. and if we were in school right now and not the COVID stuff, I don't think they would be talking about the division in this country, which needs to be talked about. I don't think they would be talking about the vow. These conversations wouldn't be happening. But if they had a peace room, a peace circle room, they had a person there generating these information circles, that would be an outlet where people can understand what's, those kids will understand what's going on. I said I was going to keep this short, but I have to ask the follow-up question because the last time you and I had this conversation, you were in that place of like you were giving up, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, when I was living in Chicago, we had SB 100, right? Where they mandated restorative justice in all mm. all schools, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you and I both know it doesn't work that way. Um, they they can mandate they it, didn't... but if it's not done right, you might as well not have it. Right. But they didn't provide the resources. And I think, you know, teachers, a lot of educators now, like, think about restorative justice in a bad way as something that's like super permissive. Um, Cause like we just stopped suspending kids and, you know, we're not meeting the needs of teachers either. Um, and I think like there, there are so many levels, like the teachers don't feel like they're safe in their schools mm -hmm. either. Right. And so like, how can you have people who don't feel safe and secure in their space? hold safe and secure space for other people. Uh, and there are so many of them who are doing that, um, even if they're not using the word restorative justice, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, there, there are so many levels and um, how, whenever we figure out how to do this, mm -hmm. like, uh, I, I don't know how it happens within the, like specifically within the bureaucracy of like 
Chicago public schools, which is so big. And I know there are lots of people who are like trying to do this work and, and do it in a good way. Um, but, you know, to, to the point that like you were making with like precious blood, right? Precious, precious, precious blood, um, you know, is a, is a small center, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you serve a lot of people um, in a big neighborhood um, and th- there are still the problems. And so mm-hmm. like, this is generational work. Mm-hmm. This is not something that mm-hmm. we're going to solve mm-hmm. um, next year, the year after, even after that. But uh, I'm glad to see that you haven't given up on schools. No, um, <laughs> I haven't. But you know, where it really counts is political. Uh, when you, like you said, we are a small community and we're trying to do the best we can, but if the community is suffering, it's gonna be bigger than us still. So mm-hmm. I don't see enough happening uh, at the top politically restored it, where, where these people restorative justice is on their minds and they understand it. You know, if we were gonna do, if we were gonna do restorative justice with the mayor's office, the mayor's not coming, she's sending people that work under her. People mm-hmm. have, to, for something to change, like the communities, people have to care. You have to genuinely care. If you don't have an interest in my well-being and care about me, why, sh- why should I expect anything from you? So we have to get back to people really, really caring, but, but changing things like in the community, politically, that's where that happens at. And I don't see a lot of, of restored practices or restored conversations happening in those realms. I don't see it at all. Right. And like, oh man, <laughs> we're going to keep going. But like, I mean, I think it's as little, it, it, there are things as simple as like, I know the first names of the people who live like to the right and left of me, mm-hmm. but like, we don't really have those kinds of relationships, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there are things like that, but like even within schools, like because we live in a world that like focus so much focuses so much on like individual success and taking care of yourself and your family, however you define that. Right. Um, people just don't have the time and energy or people don't choose to make the time and energy to care about others, but we're going way too long. It was supposed to be like a really <laughs> well, short well, the, answer. The question would be, well, the question would be in an ideal day. I'm going to say this, my ideal school then would be, if you can imagine a native American village where people love and care about one another, in my mind, I'm thinking schools should be like that. It is one big village and you care about one another. And the principal is maybe, I don't want to say chief, but the principal cares so much about all the people in the village that they would do whatever it takes to stay strong and stay connected to one another. That's Well, I mean, I think like there are so many principals who do and they're like constrained by the systems that they work in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they won't give them any money to put in this and to do that, to train people. The first thing they usually say, they don't say it as much now, but, oh, we don't have any money to train anybody. We can't bring that in. We can't do that. So that means they're being controlled by powers over them because the powers right. over them don't understand the necessity of it. <laughs> Pam, we're going to make this podcast two hours and people aren't going to listen. <laughs> oh, no, you better cut all this out. The last... 30 minutes, you could just, that's just a conversation between you and I. <laughs> it's good stuff, but you got to cut it. You got to let that be just you and I was just kicking it. <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the questions. All right. <laughs> what is one thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know? Hmm. To know that, you know, the world is still a beautiful place. 
there is a lot to still be grateful for and to be appreciative, but I would like them to know that I'm one of the people that is gonna continue with what I know and what I'm doing with the restorative justice practices and the, the trainings of bringing and enlightening other people, that that's gonna be part of that hope. Don't give up. There is a lot of us out there that's really putting our heart into trying to, to ease the pain and into enlighten and give people the gift of what it's like to stay connected and to trust in the relationships that are building. Don't give up on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and being one of those people doing that work, how and where can people support you in your work? Um, in locally, you mean in Chicago? Oh, however you want to answer the question, but you can, you can say locally. Find out for yourself more about restorative justice. And if it's something you are interested in and you know someone that want to know more about it and be trained in it because you think it'll do some good wherever you are, I'm your person. I'm your person. Uh, try to find out more about places like Precious Blood, Restorative Hubs, and, and advocate for more spaces like that. Uh, but I want people to stay connected. I, want pe I, want, I like it when people show interest in what we do. The, the, more, yeah. the more people show interest, when I get a telephone call or when I get into work and there's messages from me, I'm like, oh yeah, people wanna know about restorative justice. Cause I know the more I give it out there, the more the work is continuing to be done. So you want me to give people your phone number oh, sure. or I'll just give them the precious blood number. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. We'll have all of that linked in the, in the and show a, notes and of email. this episode. And email. Precious uh, blood yeah. email. It, precious blood mm -hmm. email, precious blood website, phone number. Absolutely. Um, all of that. Uh, you run trainings uh, for circle keepers. Um, you're still doing them monthly. It's every month, except for January. So they can find out more about that because every month the four day is back on. Smaller groups because of COVID, we're not virtual. We're in person, eight people, two trainers. Space the distance with mask. And lots of hand sanitizer. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Pam. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, David. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast on whatever platform you're using right now. It really helps us further amplify this work. Follow us on our social platforms at AmplifyRJ and check out all of AmplifyRJ's events and workshops at AmplifyRJ.eventbrite.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.